0: Usually, I uh, prepare some notes on uh, the weeks previous to my coming up here and speaking. It takes quite a bit of preparation. And uh, I have uh, helpers who help me by putting up slides and uh, verses, so you could follow the message without... Opening your Bible, which I recommend you open your Bible all the same and, and read from your Bible, but in case you don't have a Bible or you want to often the verses are displayed up and uh, to make sure they have an opportunity to prepare those slides, I will usually save them in a dropbox we have for the chapel, and then they can upload it and put it on the screen, so all of you will have the advantage of it so I did that, and usually I don't give them enough warning, and sometimes I get chastised for that. And um, so this morning, I went on my phone and texted Jake, uploaded the message to the Dropbox. And I probably get, get a text back saying, I won't be there. And if you look around, it's true, Jake is not here. I had no idea why, and I was thinking of asking, but I figured, well... You know, he could have tell, told me maybe it's none of my business. So. Uh, I texted Luke instead, and or called Luke, and so Luke is is there helping me? And I understand maybe Jake is is listening live, and uh, has the opportunity to hear me as well. But the reason Jake is not here is he had uh, an infection called uh, an uh, appendicitis. Is that correct? I, I may I may. Uh, sometimes make mistakes, now I pronounce words and I trust you will forgive me. (coughs) But appendicitis is inflammation or infection of the appendix and it can be deadly. If you don't catch it, the appendix will burst and I guess spread the infection throughout your internal organs and uh, could could definitely kill you. And uh, Jake has suffered some discomfort Uh, Thursday, and then got worse on Friday. And uh, after consulting with his mother, decided to call the doctor, and the doctor had him come in Friday night. He was admitted, had a surgery Saturday morning to remove the appendix. And uh, it was a blessing, we recognize, that the appendicitis was diagnosed so quickly, because if it wasn't diagnosed, Jay could be in a much more serious And uh, Today we have a passage about diagnosis of a condition that many people in the church today suffer, and I don't doubt there's probably some people here this morning that suffer from this same ailment that um, James will talk about. It's called faith without works, faith without works, and it can be just as deadly, if not deadlier, than appendicitis. So with that, let's turn to the passage, James chapter 2 and verse 14. James chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food... And one of you says to them, Depart in peace. Be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works? When she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Faith without works. So first, what's the context for this? This is a very powerful passage. And uh, it's always good to try to take things in context. Uh, James has been speaking to believers about uh, doing the will of God. This is, uh, uh, someone said early on, a, a very strong epistle. James is speaking very directly to people about doing the will of God, starting from how they respond to trials and temptations in their lives to being doers of the word of God and not hearers only. And then in the last passage, he was talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. And uh, living, so, so speaking and so living or doing as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. And he knows that there are people who are sitting in the congregation who are listening or reading what he wrote that are completely unmoved by it and feeling secure, feeling I'm doing okay, why? Because I believe in Jesus. And James is talking about all these things about needing to do works. But, you know, I'm okay because I have faith in Jesus. I don't have to respond to what James is telling me. And it's to those people that James is going to diagnose the problem of faith without works and show them how serious of a problem that is. Faith without works. Not obeying the will of God in your life. Thinking it's okay to just believe and not be doers of the work. Not obeying God, what he tells you to do in your life. So the first problem uh, he points out for us, and that's in verse 14, he says, faith without works does not save you. Faith without work does not save you. Now, we may have a problem with that because we've been teaching here and faithfully to the scriptures that a person is saved through faith. As we've been going through the book of Ephesians, let's turn back to the book of Ephesians and see what God says about how we are saved. How do we go to heaven? How how are we made right with God? We have that for us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, we have the words on the screen as well. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we were told. Starting in verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So a number of things here we learn about salvation. First of all, all, salvation is of God. If you understand how dead we are in our sins, how condemned we stand before God. We had a devotional this morning about how God knows every sin that we have committed and every sin has a just reward. Every sin earned for us uh, a penalty an eternity in hell. That's how dead we were, how much without hope. Only God can save us from that situation. Salvation is of God. Second, we see here that salvation is by grace. And what that means is that you don't do anything to earn that salvation. You can't offer God money or a good work or anything, and because of that, deserve to be saved. Grace means undeserved favor. God save us as a free gift. We don't have to do anything to earn salvation. Third, we see here, and this especially pertains to us in verse 8, that salvation is through faith. And uh, I have a, an illustration for that. Look if we can get the, uh, the slide up to try to understand what does it mean that salvation uh, is uh, of God through faith, by grace. I apologize. It's hard to see. But if you can kind of tell, it's a big hole. And there's a person inside of that big hole. And uh, that's, that's a problem, obviously, for that person. That's what we were like, uh, being dead in trespasses and sins. We were under the judgment of God. We had no hope, no way out. And God, in his grace, is reaching down to us. There's a rope in there, and uh, there's a kind of a little stone or something at the bottom of that rope. And basically, all that person needs to do is grab onto that rope, sit on that rope, stone and let the person pull him out of the hole. And that's what salvation is. God is doing the work. God is offering to you free of charge. Faith is basically holding on to the rope and sitting and letting God pull you out. So relying upon God and what God has done for you. Now because of that, one of the things it means is salvation is available to everyone. right? Whether you're a little child, Jesus says you need to have faith as a little child to enter the kingdom of God. So a little child can enter the kingdom of God by believing, trusting in God, and his work of salvation for us through the Lord Jesus. Uh, And and a person who is a robber, a murderer, hanging on a cross next to the Lord Jesus, who has no opportunity of doing any good work because he's going to be dead in minutes or maybe hours. And yet that person could trust in the Lord Jesus and be saved and be pulled out of that hole. Salvation is by faith. It's available to everyone. But it also means that salvation, that uh, faith is, uh, and this is kind of a big theological word, is not meritorious. Faith is not meritorious. Meaning, you can't hold on to that rope, be pulled out of that hole, come out and say, I saved myself. Oh, you know, I deserve to be saved because of my great faith. I mean, you held onto the rope. God pulled you out. You didn't do anything to deserve your salvation. And that is why salvation is by faith. And we still cannot boast. Lest anyone should boast. No one will be boasting in heaven. All hands will point to God. It's him that did it. He is the one that deserves the glory for our salvation. <clears throat> but... So salvation is of God. Salvation is by grace. Salvation is through faith. But, and that's what we have for us in verse 10, salvation results in a change in a person. Look at verse 10 again. For we are His workmanship, a work that God Himself does, created in Christ Jesus. This talks about being born again. There is a new life. There is a new you that happens when you are saved. For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them if you are saved there should be good works in your life a change should happen and that's what James is talk, talks about in uh, James chapter 2 verse 14 when he says "If someone, what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works can faith save him can this kind of a faith that has no works associated with it be evidence of real salvation? And the answer is no. If there is nothing in your life, if there's no good works, nothing in your life indicating a desire to do the will of God, you are not saved. It doesn't matter that you have faith. There's a problem. Something didn't happen that was supposed to happen when you believed. That's the diagnosis that James is making in regards to a person. Second, so first one was faith without works does not save. And James is continuing with the diagnosis. The second one is faith without works has no value. And he illustrates it for us in verses 15. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, a real reality in those days, for us it's kind of hard to imagine somebody walking up to a door, you know, with not enough clothes. A naked means not enough clothes to protect them from being exposed to the weather. doesn't mean being completely naked. Uh, destitute of daily food, not having enough food. And we would imagine if a person comes to a house and knocks on a door without enough clothing and has no food, you know, it's probably a person who's made some poor choices in their life. Now, it could be true, and we should still help that person. But here, in this case, it could have been a believer who, because of their faith in the Lord Jesus, was disowned by the family, most, most believers at that time, and probably the audience James is writing to, are Jews. And many Jews, when they believe in Jesus, are put out from their family. The family says, fine. You want to believe in Jesus? You're not part of our family anymore. And if that person doesn't have you know, a job or some private fortune, that person is left destitute. And even we start going knocking on doors of other believers, I believe in Jesus, I'm not part of the family of God, would you please help me? And this is the response of a person who has faith without works. And one of you says to them, depart in peace. Be warmed and filled and sends them out of their house with nothing. Faith without works. And what James says is, if you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? There's no profit that comes out of it. Obviously, not to the person you sent out. Obviously, not to you. Nobody will think more highly of you because you said some grand words. <clears throat> but I'm thinking especially of God. Jesus said this By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There is one great testimony for the reality of God and salvation and the church being the people of God, and that should be love between the believers. And right now, this person sent a fellow believer out the door, naked and without food. What kind of love is that? There is no profit for God for a person saying that he believes, making a profession. Often we think, you know, boy, what a wonderful thing. This person is making a profession for God. You know, this person is putting a sticker on the back of his car with a, you know, a fish symbol. Well, if that person with the fish symbol on the back of his car is driving like a maniac, Tom, and you're chasing after him and having to stop him, what kind of a testimony is that for God? Faith without works has no value. Third, faith without works is not real faith. And uh, this gets a little bit complicated here. In verse 18, there seems to be some sort of an antagonist that is arguing with James, and James is bringing him, perhaps in a theoretical way, into the discussion of the passage. But uh, clearly he experienced this kind of conversation, so he can bring it (coughs) up. But someone will say, that is the antagonist, you have faith and I have works. And it may seem kind of confusing. Does the antagonist have faith or does the antagonist have works? Well, what the antagonist is trying to say here is, you know, some people have more faith. They're, they're good in faith. That's the specialty, the gift. And some people are good at works. I'm not saying that you guys are good at faith and you are good at works. But, you know, that, that's what this antagonist is suggesting. You know, you can have some people that are good at faith and that's a special thing. And, hey, let them flower in their faith. And some people are good at works and that's great and let them flower in their works. But James comes right back and says, Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. What is James saying is, it's not true. You don't have faith without works. If you have faith, you can show it by your works. The fact you have no works means you have no faith. At least not the kind of faith that God is looking for. And it's not just James That says it, Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Sheep's clothing means they're disguising themselves as sheep or as children of God. They're pretending to be Christian, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They're not really Christians. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. By the fruit you shall know them. If a person is a believer, you will know it by what they do, not by what they say. It has to be a reality in your life. Fourth, if I'm counting correctly, Faith without works is no better if it is an Orthodox faith. Orthodox faith, another big work. To be orthodox literally means to be walking straight or thinking straight. You're following things, <clears throat> you're following things the proper way. A person may, may say, Well, my faith has gotta have some value because I believe the right things. And this antagonist is apparently saying, that he believes that there is one God. And in those days, that was kind of a distinction. They lived in a pagan world that worshipped multiple gods. And as soon as you said, I believe there is one God, you showed you had orthodox faith. I believe the things that are right, which God says in the Bible. Today we will say, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that we are saved you know, by grace through faith. Now, because I believe all these things that are true, there must be some value to my faith. What does James say? The demons also believe, and they tremble. The demons have orthodox faith, too. They believe there is one God. They believe that Jesus is God. They believe that people are sinners, that they're saved by grace through faith, and they try to interfere with that. They hate God. And they tremble for a good reason. So, orthodox faith has no value in and of itself if there is no works showing evidence of real transformation in your life. Faith without works is no better if it is orthodox. Fifth, faith without works is fooling yourself. We had an example of of, uh, Jake being on the ball, he had some pain, he called his mom, his mom said, call the doctor, the doctor diagnosed, he took care of the problem, there's a a picture here of a case where that did not happen, Uh, Sharon, my wife, she's in the other room, but uh, she uh, is an optometrist by profession, and uh, she did her rotation at a clinic where a person came in with a patch on his eye, And he didn't even come to the eye doctor first. He went to a doctor because he had some chest pains. And the doctor said, you know, obviously you have a problem with your eye. You should also visit the optometrist while you're here. So he goes to the optometrist. And the optometrist starts asking him, well, you know, what seems to be the problem? And he says, oh, you know, I scratched scratched my eye doing some gardening. I'm okay. It's not a problem. And... uh, So the optometrist asked, well, how long ago did it happen? He said, oh, maybe three or four years ago. Funny, huh? And uh, what happened three or four years earlier is that the man noticed this in his eye. And for those of you who may not recognize what that is, I think I wrote it here for myself so I get it right, that's basal cell carcinoma. Which is uh, cancer. And those You who know something about it, though, it's a fast spreading and a very dangerous cancer. For that to go untreated three to four years, this man lost half his face in a surgery to fix the problem and could have killed him if it would have gone any longer than that. And that's the problem of faith without works. You think you're okay. There's evidence otherwise. The signs in your life not always okay. Your life is not conforming to the word of God. God says, "Do this and you don't do it. God says, "Do that and you don't do it." There' signs that there is a problem, but if you don't address it, if you do nothing about it, you're doing the same thing this guy did. You're fooling yourself. Faith without works is fooling yourself. Jesus didn't want that to happen. Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name and then i will declare to them i never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness professing believers they called jesus lord they did things in his name i never knew you what was the evidence of that They never did the will of God, his Father. They practiced lawlessness, meaning they didn't obey the law of God. Finally, faith without works is not following biblical examples. And we have for us the examples of uh, Abraham and Rahab in the passage. I won't reread it. But that's uh, verse 21 through uh, 26. And it's interesting that we have the example of both of them, Abraham, and the story of him uh, offering Isaac, his son, on the altar. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and offer him to me as a burnt offering in the place I will show you. It says Abraham got up early in the morning to do it. And then you have the story of Rahab. And uh, she was um, part of the people that God was going to judge as they were entering the line. People that were so sinful, God told them you have another 400 years to repent. They didn't repent. God was sending Israel to destroy and wipe them out. And Rahab, a harlot, came to faith in God and actually helped the spies that were sent in the house. Example example of uh, faith and works. And why is God using, why is James using Abraham and Rahab here in this example? And uh, it made me think of something, we call at my work, corner cases. Corner cases. I work for a company that makes LEDs. LEDs are used to make lights, like uh, these lights. And... uh, we make lots of kinds of LEDs. I think last year we may have released 200 or 300 different new LEDs into the market. Now, if you're going to release an LED and you have a name like Philips behind you, you have to make sure it's a good quality LED. And these LEDs are marketed for lasting a long time, like 25,000 hours. Your average light bulb is said to last about thousand hours. That means if you use it for three hours, a day, it lasts for about a year. Okay, LEDs, we're telling you, This thing is going to last you for 25, 30 years. Now, if you're a company like Philips and you're going to say it, you better do some testing to make sure that's true. And so we're going to take some of these LEDs and we're going to subject them to tests. We're going to run them really hard and in a hot situation and humidity and all kinds of things. These are expensive tests you have to do to these LEDs so that you can say this will last you 25,000 hours. Now, it would be really expensive to do it to all 300 or 200 different kinds of new LEDs we release every year. So we select something called corner cases. You know, we'll take the, like, the most powerful LED we make that has a particular color, and we'll take, like, a very weak LED that we make, or, or some sort of variation in the structure, and we'll just test those. We'll just submit those to test. And the assumption is that if those LEDs in the corner cases are good and they're reliable and they'll last you for 25,000 hours, then all the ones in the middle are good too. Right? That's that's the theory behind corner cases. Well, Abraham and Rahab are corner cases. Right? They include all of humanity between them. One is a man. One is a woman. You should fit into one of those two categories. (laughs) Right? One is a Jew. One is a Gentile. You should fit into one of those two categories. One is at the very top of society. Abraham, he was a leader of a people. Out of him will come a whole nation. One is at the very bottom, Reh the very lowest place of society. And yet, the same was true in both of them works were evidence of their faith. The fact they were saved was evident in their life. They both did the kinds of things that you knew these people must believe in something. They must have a reason for what they're doing. For Abraham to take his son and lay him on the altar, took faith, there was evidence. For Rahab to receive the spies and welcome them and then send them out another way was evidence of her faith. In your life, there should be something that is evident of faith, something different. I remember when uh, my daughter Eliana was diagnosed before she was born of uh, having potential serious complications, uh, the doctor you know, rushed us to a specialized clinic where they could do better imaging to find out if the problems we were told she has are really true. And they, they rushed us to, you know, a consultant and people that could advise us uh, on performing an abortion. And when we told them that our abortion was not an option for us, they were surprised. They assumed that the first thing we would want to do as soon as we found out that our child was going to have serious issues was have an abortion because that's what people do. They don't want to have, live a life with a child that has serious issues. Issues that will affect how they will live for the rest of their life. But we believed in the Word of God. There is a person here. This person has a soul and a value before God. To, to abort this child is to commit murder. We're not going to consider that. That was evidence of faith. People were surprised that that was how we thought. And that should be true of you as well. If you're saved, there should be evidence... People should be surprised at things that you do. Why did you do that? Well, let me tell you. There should be something demanding explanation. And let me close with this. Faith without works. The possibility that you're just playing dead. Possibility that you're just... Is it possible for a person to really be saved, but there's not much evidence in their life that they are saved. Now there's an animal, it's called a possum, and uh, if you come close to this animal when it's alive, it will play dead. This possum is alive and well. It's hard to tell from the picture. And that could potentially be the case where somebody is genuinely saved but playing dead. It's possible. Now the question is why would you want to do that? And uh, I think the problem is sometimes we do. Sometimes we try to get away with as little as possible. Well I, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, but I really, you know, want to enjoy what this world has. I wanna satisfy my flesh. I don't want to do all the things that the Word of God says. And we try to play some sort of a minimum game. Well, I've got to do some good works. Let's retake you to a passage that recommends you should do more than just that. John chapter 13, sorry, John chapter 15. I made that mistake this morning. Almost got you a bunch of wrong verses up on the screen. John chapter 15, starting at verse 9. And uh, this will be our last passage for today. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. And we're singing about that this morning, right? Love lifted me. The Lord loves us. Abide in my love. What does it mean to abide in my love? I believe it means living consistently with that love. We love him because he first Love does, right? It should be re- 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 reciprocal. Reciprocal? <laughs> Reciprocated, reciprocal love. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. How do we show him we love him? By keeping his commandments. Not by saying. Words are cheap. If a husband... Cheats on his wife, and then comes and tells her, "But honey, I really love you. Show me. Don't tell me. Just as I have kept my father's commandments, and abide in his love." Jesus is not asking us to do anything he hasn't done himself. Okay, he's the great example. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, the Christian life is supposed to be full of joy, and uh, often it's not, I have to confess it, but the reason it's not is because we're not doing what Jesus says to do here which is to obey his commandments. Let me close with this. This is a song called Trust and Obey. I will always remember it for being sang in my baptism. And uh, so it has a special place in my heart. And this is what it says. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love, until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows, for the joy he bestows, are for them who will trust and obey. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for how deep your word digs into our heart and reveals things To us lord i know for myself and uh, i expect for others too perhaps you've shown us something new about our walk today something that ought not to be or rather something that ought to be part of our walk but is not lord we pray if uh, this is a person who is not genuinely saved that you might show them their true condition and that they might come and kneel at the foot of the cross and they'll see the blood of the Son of God shed for their sins and realize there is true salvation and that salvation is complete in you. And for those of us who may be saved but haven't been walking as we ought to walk, Lord, let these words be an encouragement to us and a a help in living the joyful Christian life that you want us to have. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.